The reading tonight comes from 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 to 13. And that's page 1146 in the Church Bibles. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6 to 13. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one, one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made in spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. And when we are, when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Good evening. Lucy, thank you so much for reading our passage. Allow me to, to lead us in prayer before we begin. Father, we do thank you so much that you've given us your word, and through it uh, we get to know you, and we, uh, we know what uh, your will for our lives is as Christians uh, through your word. Father, we do pray that you would enable us now to, to pay attention to what your word is to say, give us understanding through your spirit, and Father, we pray that your spirit would, would cause us to, to, uh, to want to live out what these verses are, are saying to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If I were to ask you, do you think you're proud? I wonder how you'd answer. Generally, I think Pride is something people find easy to spot in others, but not so easy to spot in themselves. For example, we might think that some MPs are proud because of the way they shamelessly violated lockdown rules. How dare they break the rules that they ask everyone else to keep? Or we might think that Cristiano Ronaldo is proud to have flown abroad earlier this month, supposedly without his manager's approval. How dare he think he can disrespect his manager like that? It's so easy to spot and point out pride in others, isn't it? But how easy do we find it to spot pride within ourselves, within our own hearts? I'm sure all of us would agree that it is better to be humble 
than to be proud. But how, how do we become more humble? In his book, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis says, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And then he goes on to say, If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Do you want to be humble? Lewis says that the first thing you need to do is realize, acknowledge that you are proud. And he says that if you think you're not proud, well, then then you've got real problems. It just reveals how deep your pride problem really runs. Listen now to what Lewis says is the root cause of our pride. By the way, I'm shamelessly quoting him loads because his, his thoughts on pride are excellent. What is the root cause of our pride? Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Brothers and sisters, what do you take pride in? What are you proud of? Are you proud because you think you have a better job than others? Are you proud because you you studied at a more prestigious university than others? Are you proud because you're better at sports than others? Are you proud because you have better grades at school than others? Are you proud because you have better looks than others? Are you proud because you are funnier than others? Are you proud because you have a better fashion sense than others? Are you proud because you think you are less sinful than others? Are you even proud because you have better theology than others? What are you proud of? There's got to be something. We all have a pride issue. Some of us might might recognize it more quickly than others, but we all have it. As I've been spending time in this passage, I've been massively confronted and challenged about my own pride. Tonight's passage is is going to help us think through how to deal with our pride. And it's no surprise that our passage should do this. So previously in our series in 1 Corinthians, we've seen Paul highlight the pride problem of the Christians in Corinth. We've seen Paul point out their, their boasting. In particular, they're boasting about which leader they follow. So they think, I'm better than you because I follow Apollos. Or I'm better than you because I follow Paul. They might not say those words, but that's that's their heart attitude. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. He tells them that they're 
their proud behavior isn't very Christian. Or to be more precise, it's not very Christ-like. And he, he, wants to, to change. he wants that to change. He says at the end of verse 6, Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. What is Paul's goal? That these Christian believers overcome their pride issue. He explains in tonight's verses how they can do that. And as he does that, we will learn how we too can fight against the sin of pride. Our question tonight is, what is going to help us practically in our battle against pride? What is going to help us practically in our battle against pride? And Paul's first answer is this. Stick to the word. Stick to the word. Let's read verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. What is going to help the the Corinthian believers overcome their pride issue? Not going beyond what is written. In other words, sticking to what is written in God's word. And this is what Paul and Apollos have been doing. Now you might think, how exactly is sticking to God's word going to help us in our fight against pride? I think there are three ways, at least three ways, in which it does. Firstly, we want to stick to the word because it's all we need. It's all we need. Several times so far in 1 Corinthians, Paul has cited passages from the Old Testament. And when you analyze them, you learn that they're all essentially making the same point. That we ought to rely on God's wisdom and not on human wisdom. And that's because human wisdom is a dead end. But God's wisdom, well, that has real power. There's power to save us and to transform us. And, and since, it, since it's God's word that reveals his wisdom to us, well, then it makes sense that we, that we stick to it. Wonderfully, his word is all we need to have access to his wisdom. So we don't need to rely on, on this leader's rhetorical prowess or on that leader's philosophical insights. We just need God's word. This is why Paul claims that, that it makes no sense for one group to be proud that they follow Apollos and for, the, for another group to be proud that they follow Paul. Both Paul and Apollos are simply teachers of God's word. And that is where divine wisdom is found. So they shouldn't be boasting about following Apollos and not Paul, or vice versa. Rather, they should be grateful that they have God's word, and that both Paul and Apollos are teaching it, as well as living it out. 
Back in the 1960s, John Stott and Martin Lloyd-Jones, who many of you have, uh, have heard of, uh, were, were two of the most prominent preachers in, in the UK. And I believe that back then you had a bit of a, bit of a, a John Stott group over here and a, and, and a Lloyd-Jones group over there. Which when you think of, when you think of it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame. Because both men were faithful teachers of God's word. Better than taking pride in, in following one over the other, I think would have been simply rejoicing in the fact that both of them were expounding God's word and were doing so faithfully. God's word is all we need, so we should stick to his word rather than sticking to a particular leader and overvaluing their importance. Here's the second reason we should stick to the word. It confronts our pride. We actually sang that, sang that in, in one of the songs earlier. The word confronts our pride. When we read God's word, we will find our pride exposed. So time and again, God's word warns and reminds us not to be proud. Just to, to, to mention a few, the Apostle James says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And the psalmist in Psalm 138 says, Though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. And Jesus said, All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Folks, God's word consistently exposes the sin of pride. So let's keep looking at it so that it will convict us of the the pride in our hearts and as a result cause us to turn to Christ in repentance and seek his forgiveness. So let's stick to the word because all we need, because it confronts our pride, and finally, because it teaches us that everything we have comes from God. It teaches us that everything we have comes from God. Have a look at me at verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What's the problem with being proud of your academic achievements or of your looks or of your successful career? If you have any of those things, it's purely because of God's grace. Phil Short reminded us of this on Thursday, didn't he? He said that his talent and his success were all due to God's kindness to him. So he can't boast. Friends, God sovereignly orchestrated things so that you would have the DNA that you have and so that you would have the intellectual abilities that you have and so that you would be placed in this environment instead of another one. So you can't take glory, can you? Everything you have is a gift from God. Now, folks, I know we struggle to believe this. We, 
We want to take pride from our achievements, don't we? We think we, we worked hard for them and that we deserve recognition. But if God had caused you to be born in some isolated Amazonian tribe, what would you have to be proud of then? That you had 10 children, but your neighbor only had seven? Friends, everything you have is a gift from God. And if we stick to the word, we'll be reminded of that. Knowing that that our success or talent is a gift from God will undercut our pride. We can't be proud of things that ultimately we haven't earned, but instead have been gifted to us by God. Let me repeat that. We cannot be proud of things that ultimately we haven't earned, but instead have been gifted to us by God. What is going to help us practically in our battle against pride? It's sticking to the word, which is all we need, which confronts our pride, and which reminds us that everything we have is God-given. What else is going to help us in our battle against pride? It's recognizing the way of the cross. That's our second point. Recognize the way of the cross. In verses 8 to 13, Paul contrasts the way of life of the Corinthian Christians with his and Apollos' way of life. And he uses sarcasm to really drive home how radically different their ways of life are. Let's read from verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. Oh, I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. How does the Corinthian Christian's way of life differ from Paul's? The Corinthian's way of life is all about trying to look impressive. But the apostle's way of life is the opposite. Paul says that he and the apostles are on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. In the first century... When a general returned from a successful military campaign, he would often bring with him some captives, whom he'd place at the end of the parade and who would then be sent to the gladiatorial arena where they'd be torn to pieces by wild animals. 
with the public cheering on as it all unfolded before their eyes. That's what Paul says life feels like for him. People are watching on, deriding him, cheering for his looming destruction. And he says that he is viewed by the world as scum and garbage. While the the Corinthian Christians are all about others having a high opinion of them, Paul is saying that people's opinion of him couldn't really be much lower. And surprisingly, he's okay with that. Why? How can he be okay with that? Back in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is Paul's mission? It's to be like Christ. It's to be like his master who went to the cross. Friends, what is Paul teaching us uh, is the, that is the Christian way? What is the Christian way according to Paul? It is not the way of pride, it's the way of the cross. Paul is someone who who not only teaches Christ, but also seeks to live like him. And he invites all other Christians to do the same. We'll think about this more next week, but in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, I urge you to imitate me. Before those in Corinth can do that, what do they need to do? Well, they first need to recognize the Christian way of life, which which Paul is living out. They need to recognize that the, the Christian way of life is the way of the cross because they're currently oblivious to it. They think the Christian way of life is one that looks outwardly impressive. But it's precisely the opposite. Now imagine if these Corinthian Christians who were so puffed up went on to live like Paul following the way of the cross. Wouldn't that make it a lot harder for them to be puffed up? Wouldn't it make it a lot harder for them to think more highly of themselves than they ought? Wouldn't it make it a lot harder for them to look down their noses at others? When you're the butt of the world's jokes... It's hard to be proud. And it's hard to be proud when you're the object of the world's hatred. Paul's way of life, in many ways, resembled Jesus' way of life. Like Paul, Jesus was mocked and despised by the world. That is the way of the cross. And that is the way we're invited as Christians to follow. Will it look impressive? No. But it was never meant to. Yet, 
if we follow the way of the cross, we can be sure of this. It will do our soul so much good because it will chip away at our pride. Will it fully deal with our pride? No. Our pride will only fully be dealt with when Jesus returns. Friends, do you see how at the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our pride so that we we wouldn't be condemned for it? We know that, right? At the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our pride so that we wouldn't be condemned for our pride. That is a beautiful thing. But here's the thing. In following in the way of the cross, Jesus has also given us a way to fight the sin of pride until he comes back. So the cross is not only what saves us, it's also what keeps us growing in godliness. So when you look at the cross, don't just think, oh yes, that's what saves me. Think, yes, that's what saves me, and that's also how I'm going to grow in godliness. It's by living like Jesus did. In 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks much about wisdom and foolishness, and he contrasts the two. Praise God for his wisdom. Praise God for the foolishness of the cross and for how the cross not only saves us, but also helps us to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we find these verses hard because we know that we have pride issues. We know that there's pride in our hearts. And so, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We are sorry that we have proud hearts. And, Father, we pray that you would weaken the grip of pride uh, in our hearts, Father, on our hearts. We pray, Father, that we would that we would stick to your words, that your word would constantly expose the pride in our hearts and so that we can come to you and again, again and again um, for forgiveness and to turn away from it. And we pray, Father, that we would um, grow in humility as we keep looking to your word. And Father, we pray that we would not only recognize the way of the cross, but that we would walk in it too. We find this such a hard thing to do. Our flesh doesn't want to do it. Uh, We want to dig our heels in. But Father, your word is clear that if we embrace the way of the cross, through it, you will help us to become more like your son. So Father, soften our hearts to want to live in light of the cross. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.